Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to The Jar. My name is Chris, and we're so glad you chose to hang out with us today. In the early days of The Jar, we actually um, did the baptism class at my house. So it was one of those things that rather than having a class at the ministry center or here at the Civic, uh, we did it at my house. And one of the exercises that we do with every single uh, baptism class is we have people write down uh, the sins from their past. And so whatever those ugly kind of skeletons in the closet, uh, we have them write those down. And then I would have them fold them up. It was only seen, it was only seen by them and God. And then they would place them in our fireplace. And then I would light the sins up, and in a symbolic way, as they were burning up, it was letting those people know that their sins were burned up as well, that they were gone, they no longer had to carry them anymore. Well, on this one particular day in which I was uh, leading the class, all of a sudden, after I lit them up, instead of the smoke going up the chimney, it started coming into our house. And it got so thick that you couldn't even see around you. And I'm sitting there and the smoke detector goes off and it's like beep, beep, beep. And it's real loud and everyone's like, what is going on? Are these sins not really going to be forgiven? And in the midst of all of that, it hit me, you idiot, you forgot to open the flue. And so without thinking, I go to the fireplace, I stick my hand up, and I turn the lever, and I realized in that moment, that was a dumb thing to do. I burnt my hand, and it was in that moment that I had a newfound respect for fire. Now today, what I want to talk to you about is standing in faith when you're in a fire. The reality is, is that some of you are going through some really difficult stuff right now. Some of you on the stream, you're streaming today because maybe you have a sickness. Uh, there's been this surge and maybe you're sick and you're there and you're, you're struggling today. Some of you are healthy here, but you're struggling with some other difficulty. And if you think about it, folks, all of life is simply you're in a fire, you're getting ready to go into a fire, or you're just coming out of a fire. Now, the good news that I want to give to you today is we are not the first people to ever experience a fire. In fact, there were three guys in the Bible that were going to look at their story today. They were teenagers, about 14 or 15. And they had their faith tested in a fire, but it was a literal fire. Now, these three guys' names were Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So for those of you who are pregnant or thinking of names for children, we want to be a full service here, okay? So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And their friend, uh, Daniel, is the book that we've been looking at, but it's their story that we'll look at this week. Daniel's found in the Old Testament, the first half of the Bible. And you might remember that uh, these young boys were taken away from their country to be self-taught about the Babylonian ways. And as this comes, they come face to face with an evil king, a guy by the name of King Nebuchadnezzar. And King Nebuchadnezzar was this power-hungry, 
kind of king who actually saw himself as a god. So much so that he decided that he would build a gold tower, a statue that towered up to the sky, 90 feet tall. And he told everyone in the kingdom, you need to come and bow down and worship my statue. And he invited all the government leaders and all of his advisors and counselors and these young boys that were being trained in the Babylonian way that would eventually become a part of the government to come. And so with that as the backstory, we come to Daniel chapter 3, starting in verse 5, and we read, When you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, or the zither, you didn't even know that was an instrument, did you? That's like a fun little thing, like zippity-doo-day, zither, zither. You know, I don't even know what a zither is, but it was a musical instrument. Seems like it'd be fun to play. And so he said, when you do that, or the lyre, or the harp, or the pipes, or other musical instruments, when they are played, and you hear that sound, bow to the ground to worship King Nebuchadnezzar's gold statue. You bow to the ground, and you worship the statue. Verse 6. Anyone who refuses to obey will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. Well, you can imagine at this point, people, when they got to the dedication ceremony, they all got to their knees. They're like, hey, no problem, king. We do not want to be charred. We do not want to go down. We're on our knees. We will bow down to you. How low do you want us to go? Because we don't want to get burnt up. We are down. And everyone's bowing down and everyone's bowing down to the statue and worshiping it except these three teenage boys. Now, if you've ever had a teenager before, they often don't follow directions. But these three did it differently. They were purposely saying, no matter what you do to have us to do that, we will not bow the knee. And they stayed standing. Folks, when you're going through trials, when you're going through struggles, when you're going through some kind of difficulty, when you're going through a fire, the question you have to ask is this. Will we stand in faith or will we cave to the culture? When you're going through a fire, will you stand in faith with God or will you bow the knee? So for the rest of our time, what I want to share with you is three qualities of faith that you can have to stand even in the midst of a fire and how you can navigate through that fire by having these qualities of faith. The first one is, and this is your first fill-in either on the program uh, or on the JAR app for those of you that are on the stream, and it's this. Faith obeys God instead of following people. Faith obeys God instead of following people. So in our story, everyone is bowing down, except these three teenage boys. They keep standing. Verse 16, we read this. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, this evil, ruthless king who killed little babies even, says, King Nebuchadnezzar, and then I love what they say. They say this, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in 
this map. It's like they are little cocky 14-year-olds. I mean, I have a 14-year-old. And sometimes she gets a little lippy. She gets a little bit mouthy. And and they're like, we're not going to do it. We don't care what you do. We are not going to bend the knee. But we want you to know, King, this isn't an issue between you and us. This is actually an issue between us and our God. And we refuse to bow the knee. We're just not going to do it. You see, faith obeys God, folks, rather than following people. Now, the easy thing would have been to bow the knee. I mean, just bow the knee. Everybody else is doing it. And then you could just kind of rationalize it. You could think to yourself, well, actually, uh, we'll just go ahead and do it. We'll, we'll get on our knees. We'll, we'll bow down. But as we're doing this, we're really not going to worship that statue that's 90 feet tall. We're going to be worshiping God. But everyone will think we're doing it, but we're, we're really not going to do it. And they're like, no, 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 no. We're not going to fake it. Do you ever fake it sometimes, though, with your faith? Do you ever kind of know that God's asking you to do something and you're thinking to yourself, well, I really don't want to do it. And you actually do the wrong thing. You purposely do that on the front side. And then you say in your mind, well, God will forgive me. You ever do that before? I'm going to do this, but God will forgive me. The next morning I'll wake up and, and God will forgive me. I'll ask for forgiveness. He is God. He's a gracious God. He has to forgive me. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand today because I have a feeling that if you were really honest, every single one of us throughout our life have done that before where the wrong choice was before us and yet we chose to do it. We just faked that we still had it all together. Well, these three 14-year-old boys, they choose not to do that. They predetermined in our minds. Remember we talked about that in the early weeks. They predetermined in their minds that we will honor and obey God no matter what. We will not follow anyone else. And I just want you to know that if you choose Christ, and today we have 15 people that are getting baptized who are choosing Christ. And if you're a Christ follower, if you've made that commitment... That if you do, you are going to be tempted by Satan to follow the ways of the world rather than to obey God. You will be tested in a fire. And the question then becomes, what will you do? When you're tested in the fire, what will you do? The hottest fire I think I was ever a part of actually took place um, shortly after we started the church. We were about a year into starting the church in our homes, and uh, God had given us such a great vision, and we were reaching people who were far from God, and, and things were going so well. And pretty soon the church started to grow, and we got up to 25 people, and we started to become too big for any house. And uh, we were excited about this, so we moved to the YMCA, and we said, we'll meet upstairs, uh, and that, that'll give us enough room. And so we moved to the Y, we moved upstairs, and um, after two months of that, we went from 25 to 8. Now, 
That doesn't encourage a pastor. When you go from 25 to 8, and I became very discouraged. I was ready to throw in the towel. It was the one time in my life in this church I was ready to quit. I was done. I felt like a failure. I looked like a failure. I was in the midst of a fire, and as the fire continued to burn, the pain burned, and the pain turned into anger, and then finally the anger turned into rage. And it was the day of our Valentine's Day dinner that we were going to have, and we had asked people to invite couples to come, and and we were going to meet together out at the airport. And for some reason, Jen was getting ready and in the shower, and I asked her a question. And when I did, the answer that she gave was not what I wanted. And I got so angry and mad, I went and I grabbed the shower uh, curtains, and I pulled them down, and I took my fist, and I pounded it right into the wall. And Jennifer is like scared to death, like, what is going on? How are you losing it? And I felt like a loser. Because a pastor who had his act together would not do that kind of thing. But a little insight of a pastor's life. Sometimes when the home is not going so great, you still have to do the stuff. And it's no different from the job that you're in. Many of you will still have to go back to work on Monday, regardless of what's happening in the home. And we go to this Valentine's Day dinner, and I remember when we got there, my biggest fear was that someone would see how swollen my right hand was. And I remember putting it under the table because I was so ashamed, and I didn't want anyone else to see. And then the shame didn't just stay with me, but it went to Jennifer as she was a young physician in our community and we had to go to the hospital and I had to get an x-ray and I got an x-ray of my hand and thank God it wasn't broken and Jen forgave me. But it was in that moment that I felt like such a failure. The fire was turned up, and instead of obeying and following God, I chose to keep it to myself. Well, after that, I decided that I'd get some counseling. And so I told some other people who I looked up to that I was going to get some counseling, and a couple of them, this was their response, don't do that. The church is so young that if you do that, Chris... Your leadership will suffer and people will start questioning whether or not you're a good leader or not. And I just felt so confused by it. And I remember going to pray to God one time and it wasn't an audible voice, but just in my spirit that said, Chris, you need help. And I was like, I do. And so I remember thinking to myself, That if anyone was ever going to follow the leadership of Chris Bunch, they would do it because he was a broken leader, not a perfect leader. And that's the only kind of leaders, regardless of who you are, that God creates people who are going to be broken at times, but they finally get to the point, and I did in my own life, that I would continue to lead, but I would choose to follow the voice of God and obey Him rather than following other people. And I went and I got that counseling, 
At the age of 32, I got some anger management to understand how to do that. And I decided from that moment on, as we continued to, to grow the church and lead it, that I would continue to have faith and obey God rather than following the advice of man. So faith obeys God rather than following people. The second quality that you need to stand firm in your faith is this, that faith believes in spite of what it sees. Faith believes in spite of what it sees. In verse 17, these three teenagers come to the king and they say, if we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is what? What's the next word? It's underlined. What is it? Able, he's able, and then to the next two words, what? He's able to what? Save us. He is able to save us. No matter what I see, I believe that not only is my God able and all-powerful, but I believe that my God is willing to save me. Now, folks, you need to understand this. There is a big difference, a big difference between God being able to do something in your life and God being willing to do something in your life. There's a big difference between God being able to do something and God being willing to do something. You see, the reality is God is able to do all things. He's God. He's created everything. He can do everything. The key is, do you have the faith, do I have the faith to trust Him Enough to believe that when there's sickness in my world, do I not just believe that he's able to, but that he wants to heal me. That when there's a relationship in my life that is broken and everyone else says there's no hope, it's not only that God's able to restore that, that I actually believe that he wants to do that. And that if you're financially, you're struggling with something and you're in debt, not only is God able to do that, and you may have to make some hard choices and to do a budget and get things together, but he wants to provide for you. Now, whether God chooses to heal or restore or provide, he wants you to know that our role is to continue to pray. If he chooses to heal or restore or provide, it's up to him. But what we're called to do is to continue to stand in prayer and to pray believing in faith that God can do it because he wants to. I met uh, Kenny uh, in 1998 when we first moved here to uh, Munsing. We met on the basketball court. And as we were uh, playing basketball, um, I realized that he was a tough player. I didn't really want him to know that I was a pastor, and so I played hard and I fouled hard. Like, I fouled just like I would if I were on the street. And uh, Kenny really enjoyed that. He's like, man, I, I like this. And then later on, his wife actually said, well, you know he's a pastor. He's like... We need to go to his church. 
And he didn't come to church, but uh, it morphed in from playing basketball to going to high school basketball games to eventually golfing together. And then eventually uh, I got the nerve. It took me several months, but I got the nerve to actually invite him uh, to go to church. And he agreed uh, that he would. Now, uh, quite honestly, uh, as a pastor, that's a hard thing to do sometimes. You're already in a church and they know you're a pastor to invite them. But I did. And he started coming regularly and I thought everything was going well. And we were golfing one day. And before we, uh, before I left to go golfing, I decided I was going to pray, God, today is the day that I'm going to help Kenny cross the line of faith. Help me to do this. God, I know that it's your desire that no one should perish. So I know you're going to be able to provide this this day. I believe in faith that you're going to do this. So we went out and we played the first couple of holes and I didn't say anything because it took me that much time to cup to come up with the courage to actually ask him. And so we get to the third hole and we tee off and I look at him. I said, well, Kenny, you've been coming to church. Where are you at in your faith with Christ? And have you ever had a spiritual conversation and all of a sudden the person's face turns to a, a color or a way that you think they're not really listening anymore? And all of a sudden it was one of those things where it was like, Not only did he not know where his faith was, he didn't really care. And then this was his response to me. He said, actually, I decided that I'm not going to go in the morning on Sundays anymore. It's the only day I get off. I like to uh, sleep in, take a nice bath, chill out, and uh, I'm going to stop going to church. And I'll never forget playing the rest of the round of the golf and thinking to myself, why isn't God answering my prayer? I've been praying and praying and praying. I've seen some movement, God. We just have a little bit longer. Why aren't you answering my prayer? Have you ever wondered that before? You've been praying for something or someone for a long time, and the question comes in, why isn't God answering my prayer or in the timetable that I want? Have you ever been praying for healing for someone And you're praying and you believe and you know that God can do this. You know he wants to do this, but the healing hasn't happened yet. Or there's a relationship in your life where it's broken and it's messed up and you're praying. You know God can restore all things and you're praying for it. You're asking for it to happen, but it just hasn't happened yet. Or you're actually praying for a coworker, or a neighbor or a friend or a family member to come to Christ and you're praying and you're praying and praying and you see some movement and you think to yourself, well, this must be it. And then it doesn't happen. The prayer doesn't get answered yet. Folks, this is what I want you to know, that if you're in a fire right now, if you're in a fire right now, don't give up. Keep the faith, even when you're in the midst of the fire. Even when you can't see it, keep faith. A couple of years after Kenny kind of stopped going to church altogether, I just kept praying and believing and believing. And one day he called me and he said that his mom had cancer and wondered if I would go out to her house and pray with him and the family. And I went over to his mom's house. I'd never met her before. And I prayed with her and I prayed with the family. And 
we're walking out, and I'll never forget there was this gravel driveway, and we're walking this gravel driveway to my car. And as we're walking, Kenny kind of grabbed my arm. He said, hey, Chris, um, I know my mom's not going to make it. She's not going to make it, but, but I want to see her again. And I know that I never will unless I change some things in my life. And I know you've been praying for me, and I'm ready to give my life to God. Would you help me with that? And it had been two years. Actually, when he first said it, I just stood there like this. And he's like, Chris, would you help me? I'm like, oh, yeah, 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 Kenny. And, and I prayed with him in that driveway. And he gave his life to Christ. Folks, that has been 10 years of me praying, believing, him stopping and going and continuing to believe. And it just kept happening. And Kenny has grown in his faith and he has a new look on life and he has a changed heart and, and things happen. I just golfed with him a couple of weeks ago. And he used to be the four-letter king of every shot. And now as we play, he doesn't do that. In fact, we have another guy in that. He does it sometimes. like, dude, quit doing it, you know? And all of a sudden, there's this change that's happening in Kenny's life and this transformation. But make no mistake about it. When you start believing and you start actually really believing that even if you can't see it, that God's going to do something, He will do something unlikely, not in your time frame to do it, because He's God. And guess what, folks? You're not. And so no matter what fire you're in, it doesn't mean that God isn't there even when you can't see it. He's there even when you can't see it. And it kind of leads us to maybe the hardest question for us to answer as human beings, and it's this. What if God doesn't do what you're believing Him to do? What if God actually doesn't do What you're praying and believing for him to do. What if you're believing for God to heal someone and they die? What if you're praying and believing for God to move and and bring your child back to Christ and the reality is they just fall deeper into addiction and rebellion in that way? What do you do then? Because let's be honest, folks. Some of you are going through a fire right now And you don't see any hope. But you believe and have faith even when you can't see it. Here's kind of the third quality you need to stand firm in your faith, and it's this. Faithful obedience is our responsibility. The outcome is God's. Faithful obedience is our responsibility, but the outcome is God. We are obedient, we continue to pray, we remain faithful, but how it plays out is entirely up to Him. Now remember those three teenage boys who are there and the king is saying that everyone has to bow down. And they're like, no, we're not going to do that. And they're saying, I, I believe that my God is able, I believe that my God is willing. And then in verse 18 we read this, but even if He doesn't, 
I love that phrase. But even if he doesn't, I will believe he'll save me. I'll believe that he is able to do all things. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never, never serve your gods or worship the gold statue that you have set up. Well, as you can imagine, if you're a king and everyone's bowing down except three people, you're not happy. And King Nebuchadnezzar gets ticked off and he says, get that furnace seven times hotter than it's ever burned before. And then he tells all the soldiers, I want you to wrap all of them up, bind their hands to where they can't get away. And the text tells us that as they actually are bringing the boys, these teenage boys, to throw them in the furnace, the soldiers get close to the to the furnace and it becomes so hot that they drop the boys in there and then they die themselves outside the fire and the boys are thrown into this fire to die this horrible death verse 24 then king nebuchadnezzar was astonished And he rose in haste and he spoke, saying to the counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? And they answered and said to the king, True king. Well, look, he answered, I see how many men. What's it say? How many? Four. So they put three in, but when he looks, what does he see? He sees four. Four men loose, walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the form of the fourth is like who? What's it say? The Son of God. Now, the question becomes, who is the fourth being in the fire? Who is it that can cheat death and even escape from death? Who is it that has the appearance... Of the Son of God. Well, the text doesn't tell us, but I believe that it was Jesus. Jesus was that fourth being in the fire. I mean, the fire looked like the end for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But it turned out to be the most powerful experience they ever had in their life. You see, it was in the fire, folks, that they actually met God. And this is the point I want you to take home today, and it's this. Sometimes God delivers people from the fire, but sometimes God delivers people in the fire. Sometimes God delivers people from the fire, but sometimes God delivers people in the fire. Jesus said to these three guys, and he's still saying to people right now, I will be with you in the fire. Whatever you're going through, whatever struggle you're dealing with, whatever difficulty it is, if you're in the fire, if you turn to me, I will be with you in the fire. I will never leave you alone. I'll never forsake you. I'll never abandon you. I will be with you. You'll never, ever be alone in the fire. And he did it for those three young men. And the truth is, folks, he's still doing it today. And this afternoon, 15 people 
who have experienced fire, who have experienced difficulties, who have experienced struggles. They've decided, I can't do this on my own, but I am not going to bow to the world. I am going to give my one and only life to the fourth person in the fire. And I'll give my life to Christ. And so these 15 people today, when they're baptized, they will come out of that water no longer bound to the fire, but made new and fresh in Christ. And every single one of them have a powerful story, and I'd love for you to hear all of them. But rather than doing that, what we ask them to do is simply to give one word, one word of what their life was like before Christ, And then what has it been like after Christ, as Christ helped them through the fire and to be known that he will always stand with them. And so right now, I want you to uh, take a moment and to check out this video of these 15 amazing people and what God's done in their life. Let's check it out. fire you're going through, what I want you to know is you are not alone. Jesus is with you in the fire. And I'm going to invite you right now to please stand here in the auditorium and every single person that's on the stream to sing along with us as we sing about the power of the one who was in the fire. Let's sing now. Is it grace when my heart is on the fire? Not the way when the walls are closing in. the space between where I used to be in this reckoning where I know I will never be alone was another in the fire it's dead. 
Another reason. 
let's, uh, let's pray. God, thank you so much for choosing to be with us no matter what fire we are going through. God, thank you for reminding us that when we follow you and obey you, even when we can't see the end of our story, you help us to seek you and to listen to your still, small voice. You know, maybe today God has stirred something in your spirit where the reality is, is that You've gone through a lot of fires in your life and you've been burned up a few times and it just feels like your life is out of control and you need someone who's going to be with you and for you in the fire. That you don't have to walk through this life alone. That there is one in the fire to be with each one of you. And maybe for some of you, you've drifted away from God and you're kind of drifting back. But the reality is you'll stay in the fire until you turn to the one who says, even when you're in the midst of it, I'm there with you and I will eventually help pull you out. And so today, if you're ready to give your one and only life to Christ, if you're ready to say, I need you in my life, I need your grace, I need your love, I need you when I'm going through the fires of my life, I'm going to invite you in a prayer. And it's not a prayer that you say by yourself, but we say in community. And so I simply invite you to repeat this prayer after me. Heavenly Father, I give my life to you. Thank you for choosing me. Jesus, forgive me. Make me brand new. I believe you died and rose again so I could live with you. Fill me with your spirit so I could know you serve you and follow you for the rest of my life my life is not my own today i give it to you thank you for new life now you have mine in jesus name i pray amen